Welcome to this week's episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. This week we are joined by Candace Parker of the LA Sparks. Candace recently won a WNBA championship and was named WNBA Finals MVP. Uh, she's definitely one of my favorite WNBA players. We have a great conversation, wide ranging from her interactions with Pat Summit as a high school player, the influence her brother Anthony Parker had on her to what the WNBA needs to do to market its stars and games better. We need to figure out our target audience and be real about our target audience. Because I think in the years past, we've kind of gone from, okay, we're gonna target market daddy daughters. Then we did this marketing campaign of like, you know, saying all these negative things about it and be like, I wouldn't say that, would you? Like targeting men, I guess, I don't know. But I think we need to figure out who our target marketing group is and target towards them. So I'm really excited that we have Candace Parker on the podcast. Let's get to my conversation with Candace. Before we get to Candace, I just want to talk briefly about my love of women's sports. Uh, when I was growing up, I had older twin sisters, uh, Alyssa and Katie, and they were my idols. Like They were the people that I looked up to the most. I did whatever they did. They were also the people that gave me my name of JJ. My dad called me Jay when I was a very, very young toddler. And uh, people would ask what my name was. And because my sisters were twins and they said everything at the same time, they would always say JJ. So the second J doesn't stand for anything. If you don't know that by now, go to Wikipedia. But I did whatever they did. I remember when we lived in Charlottesville, Virginia, they got really into horseback riding and they actually competed at competitions. I never got that far, but I took up horseback riding. Uh, We were so deep in the game in horseback riding that we actually at one point bought a horse. This was not a thoroughbred. I'm pretty sure my parents bought this horse for like $200. eBay didn't exist back then or Craigslist or anything like that, but they bought this horse for $200. We named the horse Shekinah. I can't make this up. We named the horse Shekinah. We had Shekinah for about uh, six months, and she was a little edgy, so we had to get rid of her for safety reasons. And then my sister started playing softball, so I took up baseball. I used to go to their softball games all the time. And then when they got to ninth grade, they were like 6'1", and somebody said they should play basketball. So they took up basketball that year, and I took up basketball. Like I, I didn't start playing basketball because of my dad or anybody else. I started playing basketball because my older sister started playing basketball. Baseball was always my first love, but I started playing basketball because of them. Uh, I told the story last week about how I, you know, would get their hand-me-down basketball shoes growing up. So I, I, I've always loved watching women's basketball, and a lot of that has to do with my sisters. I can remember going to. Almost all of their AAU tournaments, all of their high school games was so proud when they got Division I scholarships to play at Campbell University. And around this time is is when the WNBA started. And the WNBA this year is celebrating their 20th anniversary, or just celebrated their 20th anniversary. And I, I remember being a, a huge fan of, of Cynthia Cooper and the Houston Comets back in the day. So I'm really excited that we have Candace Parker on the podcast Let's get right to our conversation. Candice, I really appreciate you joining us on the Vertical Podcast. I don't know if you knew this or not, but 
Besides my wife, you are like officially the first female guest we've had. <laughs> oh, well, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I feel honored. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I was, I, you know, I was trying to get a WNBA player, obviously stick with basketball. Um, so who better to get than the recent WNBA finals MVP, Candace Parker? First of all, congratulations on the championship recently. I know you have a lot of responsibilities off the court, but have you, have you come down? Have you had time to celebrate the championship? You know, uh, it's it's surreal still, to be honest with you. Uh, it's something that, you know, our team set as a goal at the beginning of the season and and to be standing there and to, to hoist the trophy over your head and, and bring the trophy back to L.A. really is a surreal feeling. You, you've won championships before, though. I mean, you've won two at, uh, at Tennessee. You won two Olympic gold medals in 2008 and 2012. Where does this rank in terms of, most satisfying, most gratifying, like uh, put it in perspective compared to those other championships. This championship has got to be number one. I won't say that championships in high school and college came a little bit easier, Yeah, but they came a little bit easier. <laughs> um, this was something that, you know, I myself personally have had on my to-do list for nine seasons yeah. and to finally do it and um, to do it with this group of people in our organization. I mean, this was the best team I've ever played on, on the court, but off the court as well. So I think it was just this this whole experience was very special to me. Yeah. Well, I think part of it, winning in general, part of it is like who you do it with. You know, I've, I haven't won an NBA championship, but I've always said this to my teammates, like I, I here in, in LA, like I always say to them, like, I want to win with you guys. Like it would mean more to me to win with them than any other group of guys. There was some chatter this summer uh, with some of the male the male Olympians on the men's national team. I think DJ, Carmelo, and I want to say Kyrie. Each of them said the Olympic gold medal means more than an NBA championship. And I came on the podcast the very next week and was like, I just don't agree with that at all. Um, and I think part of it is because in our sport, women's basketball, men's basketball, there's an expectation to win a gold medal. Like if, if, if we don't win a gold medal, then we're a failure. So professionally, I think it, it kind of means more. Uh, and, and I guess you maybe you touched on that. It's like it's the process and the people you go through. You know, it, it's all about the journey. Yeah. And I think that that's what we focused on. We enjoyed every moment. I mean, obviously, there were some tough times this season. I mean, you know, every team goes through ups and downs. Yeah. But this season just like – we loved it all. We embraced it all. We embraced the obstacles. Um, but I would have to say I've won two gold medals. <laughs> and I, I think this WBA championship was was way more special. Yeah. Uh, I think it is an amazing experience to represent your country. And yeah. I think for me, it was being at opening ceremonies in the Olympics that you realize, wow, I'm wearing USA across my chest. Yeah. But winning, I think winning this championship, you're playing against the best. And, you know, you come out on top. I don't know the the backstory to it, but were you at all disappointed to be left off the the roster this summer? Um, what was the conversation like with you know the, the head ups over at the women's national team with that? It was tough. I mean, for me, um, I think just being my third go around and the amount of time and energy that I put into USA basketball, I think that's what I was most disappointed in. Right. Is um, you know, leading up to the Olympics, you know, I spent time away from my family to go to these, you know, camps and to, to spend my time away. And it was kind of like, if that was going to be the end result, because I don't think it was my play that 
left me off the team. Right. So if that was going to be the end result, just tell me early and I won't spend time away from my family. But it was disappointing. But after that, just kind of looking back, it allowed us to kind of really focus on the WNBA season. Yeah. And, you know, NECA was another member that could have been on the Olympic team as well. And we just were able to have kind of tunnel vision and not have to worry about taking that break and taking our focus away from the Sparks. Was there any sense of vindication on your part? Like a little bit, the competitive side of you? A little bit when, I, you, when you won it all and got the finals MVP? I can't say that there was. I think I was more focused on just the people around us that provided positive and, and have been there. I mean, you know, everybody wants to roll with you when you're winning and when you're doing well. Yeah. But you really want to pay attention to those people that have had your back when you're going through the valleys. And I think that's what I was focused on. It wasn't like a ha-ha, we did it. It was like we did this, you know, yeah, like yeah. we did yeah, it. Yeah, not, yeah. you know, not cause you said we couldn't or right. anything like that. It was because, you know, we set that as a goal and we wanted to do it. No, I, I totally get that. And I totally respect <laughs> that. No, I'm serious because like, I, I say this all the time, but like, I refuse to be motivated by negativity. Like I don't ever want my source of motivation to be from a negative place. Like I, I'm not motivated by haters or doubters. Or I, like to me, like I want to prove something to myself. It, it never, it's never about proving someone else, else wrong. And I think, you know, the, the really good teams that I've been on, that's been everyone's sort of focus is on the process and enjoying it and going through it together rather than sort of individuals wanting to prove something. It, it, does that make sense? No, it totally makes sense. And I think that that was our mindset. Yeah. I mean, and I think we kind of were a little upset when people were like, oh, you know, now you go win a WNBA championship. <laughs> like, no, that has nothing to do with it. I would have yeah. wanted to win a WNBA championship and played just as hard to win one if I was on the team or with, with NECA on the team. So I think we were a little upset at that. <laughs> yeah. But to say the least... um, I was just happy for our team that we did it together. And like you said earlier, winning it for your teammate, yeah. playing for somebody else. Yeah. I mean, that that provides a lot of motivation in the heat of the battle when you want to give up or you want to give in or you're tired or you mix a, miss a box out. You want to do it for your teammate. Right. It's such a great word you just used, for. Because <laughs> I'm serious. I, I've thought about this a lot. Like In our league, too, it's people always talk about, can this guy play with this guy? It's always about with. You know, it's never about four. And I think the great teams, they don't play with each other. They play for each other. I like that. I like and, that. Uh, you know, I think even our group, like, I feel like we're not there yet. We, we will get there. But when we all start playing for each other, we're going to go, we're going to go to another level. Like we're, we're close, but it, it, it's going to take a little bit more. I want to go back um, to when you were growing up and doing a little bit of research on you. I found out <laughs> oh, oh, that nervous. you were like... You were like anti basketball. First yeah. of all, let me let me little background. Uh, your dad played ball. Yes. Your older brother Anthony, who I played against in the NBA, also played ball and was had an unbelievable career overseas. And that towards the end of his career, came over for like five or six years and had a great NBA career as well. But I read that that you were like anti basketball. You were <laughs> tried to avoid it until like you were in eighth grade and you played soccer. Like what the hell? <laughs> uh, yeah, I was the biggest soccer fan. You okay. know, I, I had two older brothers growing up. And it was like, they were both so amazing at basketball. Mm -hmm. And my one brother, he's actually a doctor now, and he was just brilliant. And my other brother played basketball, and it was just like, I need to find my niche. Like, I need to find what I can do and what I can be proud of. And it just happened to be soccer. I yeah. picked it up when I was five years old, loved playing, followed Mia Hamm, was the biggest Mia Hamm fan. Yeah. 
and just resisted. My parents were like, you're, you're going to be over six foot. Like there's not <laughs> many over six foot soccer players. And I just continue yeah. to play. And yeah. I think for the most part, it helped me with basketball, yeah. foot speed, agility. Yeah. You know, a lot of the same footwork is the same in, in basketball. So, yeah, that was the one comment I was going to make is like, if you knew that you were going to be tall, because my sister's same thing, like, you know, they were, they were really into horse riding and they were really into softball. Mm -hmm. And then they were six, one and six, two. And at 13, like going into ninth grade, somebody was like, you need to play basketball. And that's, that's the reason that I started playing basketball. So what was, what was the deciding factor? Like, when did you say, okay, I'm going to start hooping. And I guess my second question to that is like, were you awesome right away? Or was there some, was there like some cl a clumsiness stage? You know, it's, uh, it's funny because in seventh grade, Anthony got drafted. Wow. Uh, it was either in sixth or seventh. I yeah. can't remember, but Anthony got drafted. So I'm way younger than him. Yeah. So just seeing that and seeing how much time and energy he put into it, it really motivated me. And I feel like I worked harder in soccer and, you know, I finally picked up a ball seriously in like seventh grade and I fell in love with basketball. And at that moment, I was 5'9 in 6th, okay. 6th, six, 7th grade, yeah. so I was pretty tall. <laughs> and my dad refused. He was my coach. He refused to just allow me to stand underneath the basket and score layups. He was like, no, you're going to bring the ball up. Like, you're going to handle the ball. Mm -hmm. You're going to learn to do these things because what if you don't grow again? Right. Then, you know, you can't play. Right. And so I really am fortunate that he did that because I think that shows up a lot in my game and just being able to bring the ball up and, and handle the ball. Yeah. I've talked about this before, but like the grassroots program to me, like how they teach youth basketball is like if you grow early before the age of 10, like you get a disservice because they stick you under the yes. hoop and they're like, they, you never get to learn how to dribble or shoot. No. And to me, like those are the two most important skills that Wait. you could ever learn on the court. Shooting, right? yes. <laughs> well, shooting for sure. <laughs> uh, but like similar to you, like I, I played guard like all growing up because I was short. I didn't hit my growth spurt till eighth grade. And and I was like five, six going into eighth grade. And so I got I got lucky in that regard too. There was a, a, a sad passing this summer with with Pat Summit. And I know you guys won championships together and she recruited you. Yeah. Take me back to the relationship and at the beginning when she was recruiting you and sort of that process. Because I, I said this when she passed to to my guest that week, but um like when I think of the word coach, I, there's like a few people that pop into my head and certainly Coach K is one of them. Mm -hmm. But like I grew up watching women's basketball and and Pat Summit was one of like the most iconic coaches in Definitely. my life for sure. So what was it? What was that like when she started recruiting you? Well, I, I got a letter in ninth grade and it was from Tennessee. And, you know, at that time it was just like the questionnaires that you could yeah. fill out and you send back and basically lets them know you're interested and vice versa. So I get on the mailbox. I open up the letter. I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's Tennessee. You know, da, da, da. I open up the actual letter and it's from volleyball. It's not even from basketball. So my dad's like, all right, well, if you want to set that as your goal, then you got, you got some work to do. So all of ninth grade, all of 10th grade just worked out, worked hard. Finally got that questionnaire letter from Tennessee and, um, they can start writing you in 11th grade. And I'll never forget the first letter that she wrote me. It was, I don't coach effort, you know, all the definite dozen policy that she has of what a lady ball represents. And then she asked me, could you fit it? Like, would you make it here as a question? And a coach never asked me that before. Right. You know, it was normally like, oh, you're this, you're that, come to my school. And she asked me this question. And ever since then, it was like, 
I wanted to go to Tennessee. <laughs> uh, it was a hard process. I mean, yeah, obviously with Duke and Tennessee and yeah. I had a couple other schools, but it was the right place for me. Was that the letter you posted when she passed? Or the was letter that a, she a posted one? was a different one. Okay. But yeah, she always wrote handwritten letters to everybody. And her signature, you know how some people kind of scribble their name? Yeah. It's just who per- she is. Perfect. Yeah. You know, she took Attention time to, to really yeah. write yeah. Pat Summit out. Like she never, she would get so mad at us. Like, how can you read that? Nobody can read that. <laughs> like, you know, take pride in your work. That's what she would always say. This is a question that I've, I've wanted to ask someone for a long time because I love sports and it seems like in women's college basketball, there's such an extreme lack of parity and there has been for a long time. And I'm really curious, like from your perspective, what is the reason for like, like I understand Gino Ariema and like Pat Summit in her day, like I understand they got good recruits, but there's gotta sort of be more to it than that. You know, I think in women's basketball, if you look at the history of women's basketball, I mean, the great, players go to the great schools with the great with the great facilities and the great coaching Mm -hmm. and I think in women's sports the trend has been to do that because there weren't many universities like men that have the facilities and all that stuff and I think that trend is kind of carried over even now that more schools have better facilities better you know recruiting technology um, better coaches and the best just want to play at the best schools. And I mean, that's something that I hope changes in the future, but I mean, I I can't really hate on it because I I went to Tennessee, you know what I mean? And so I wanted to play for the best. I mean, it was to me, it was like, when you go to a school and you want to be an engineer, you're going to go to the best engineering school. (laughs) That's a great way. You know what I mean? So I'm going to go to the best school because I want to be a basketball player. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, that's, that was my mentality, you know, when I went. So even as a high school player and you're making this decision, your mentality was, I, I want to eventually get to the WNBA. That was your mentality? Like you knew you wanted to be a pro? I knew I wanted yeah. to be a pro. Yeah. And I thought that coach would be the person to prepare me for that, both as a basketball player and also as an individual, as a woman, you know, and um, that staff, that organization, you know, that organization, that <laughs> school really, I think, grew me. That's really interesting because I'm trying to figure this out. Like mm-hmm. I really am. And I think there's, I don't know that there's more to it than just the best players want to go to the best school. I certainly think that's, that's part of it. But like, I, I give the example of UConn has won the last four championships, mm-hmm. right? Like there's certainly been some awesome high school players that have went there or decided to go there and then they don't play as much. Yeah. Like, so there's all like, I guess for men, like, we think like, all right, they've already got a guy at this position. I'm trying to get the league as soon as possible. And you but know you what I mean? But, also, but it's different. Is it different? But you also have to think in men's basketball, there's a top hundred, right? Yeah. And okay. For instance, in my class, like big baby was in my class. <laughs> like Glenn Davis was in my class. Wait, what high school class were you? I was in 04. 04. Okay. So I was with Dwight Howard, Sean yeah. Livingston. That's I was right. with all of them. So like top a hundred in high school. The 84th player could be an NBA player, right? Like right. he could just grow late, yeah. be, you know, sleeper. There's not very many women's basketball players that, if you look across the board, that were okay. number one draft picks that weren't number one coming out of high school. Okay. If you look, like, yeah. in the history, it's probably so, like you're the number one player okay. in high school or number one player in college. You're probably going to be the number one draft pick. So, in essence, then, if, if we're looking at sort of top down, then the talent pool is just smaller in women's hoop. I think it's smaller. So is that one of the reasons then you don't see 
Because, like, in the NCAA tournament, mid-majors, in men, they have a chance. Like, yes. they, they beat some number one seeds. Like, you never see that in women's basketball. But you basketball. also see in the NBA that the men, they leave early. So you have a team that has played together yeah. for four years that's a mid-major yeah. team that has had their stars, had their, yeah. you know, whatever, the whole four years. And then you have yeah. a one-and-done team like Kentucky sure. that, you know, I mean, obviously, can you imagine if, what, Anthony Davis graduated last year from <laughs> right, college? Right, right. Like, are right. you kidding me? Kentucky would have won four straight. Yeah. Like, you that's know? A, that's a, you know what? That's a great point. So, so part of it then for sure is that if the top talent goes to the top schools and they play together and for guaranteed four years. they're guaranteed has there has there been a women's player that has left early epiphany has... prince left early okay that's right yeah from Rutgers. and there's another girl that left this year that went overseas to play but it hasn't been the trend i right. mean you stay i mean technically i left early mm-hmm. i had one more year of eligibility okay so let's get down then to why this is not on my notes by the okay. way this is actually this is good oh, i'm glad you're talking. saying it no, okay let's go but i want to know then why is the talent pool not as much and I'm going to give you a theory, and you can say what you okay. want about the theory. Part of it, I think, is just off the top of my head, the sort of the incentive, if you will, to be an NBA player is that much greater. And so there's more people that go out there and say, okay, I have the chance to you know, sign a $100 million contract. And maybe you don't see that in women's hoops. Well, I think also, and this is just me coming up with a theory off the top of my yeah, head. Yeah, sure. If you look at the three major sports in men's you know, men's sports, boys sports, you know, it's probably football, basketball, and baseball. Those are probably the three. There probably could be some pretty great soccer players Mm. if you took from the best players of those sports. But if you look at women's sports, I think basketball is a major sport, but I do think volleyball, I do think, you know, there's, there's different players that play soccer from that pool. But I do think basketball is is a major sport. Obviously, I think it's still growing. I mean, if you look yeah. at the history of our game, 1972 is the first time sure. the institutions paid for athletics. Yeah. So with that being said, I mean, we're pretty young yeah. considering. Well, that was my second point pretty I was young. Gonna, I was going to bring pretty up. Pretty young considering. Right. And and if you look back at the history of the men's game, it was one or two schools that dominated for UCLA. a long period exactly. of time. Exactly. And there wasn't the mid-major thing. So the the talent pool has certainly grown. I would even say Probably in the last 20 to For 25 sure. years, it's grown exponentially. Like sure. mid-majors didn't win. Mid-majors didn't make but final fours. a lot fours has to men's. do, too, yeah. with the NBA, yeah. with players leaving. I agree. I mean, but hey, I, Kevin Garnett yeah, was I, like kind of the first of the kind to go from high school yeah. to the pros. And look at that trend that's happening. I mean, if yeah. you look at take – the, take the NBA and the WNBA. I mean, there's 12 teams. There's no way we could field 30 teams. No. There's no way with it being – competitive good basketball there's not enough talent to spread around 30 teams and just yeah. being realistic it's not yeah so we have to be 12 can we grow yeah but but yeah i i agree with you then You're, the history of women's basketball is is a is a shorter history like i was t- just thinking about like my mom played high school basketball and it was essentially intramural half court yeah like it wasn't there wasn't people in the stands there yeah. wasn't referees like it was intramural half court and that's you know she was in high school in the 60s it was pre-title nine i mean if you look at the history of tennessee women's basketball you will see like the growth i mean like they showed us a picture of pat in her first game there was like 15 people there yeah. and then you look and she's selling out an arena of twenty-four thousand people mm-hmm. i mean that's the history of the game to me coming from a place like tennessee which I'm pretty sure, given your attendance, that the, the women's basketball team is probably a profitable program. If you look at across college sports, 
with the TV contracts, uh, conference networks. Some schools have their own networks. Coaches are obviously being well compensated. I had Jay Billis on a couple of weeks ago, who's been a huge proponent of athletes getting paid. Mm-hmm. Is this something you've thought about? Like, sh- do you think that college athletes should be paid? And if they should, how would that look? You know, it's it's interesting because we were having this debate with our rookie because our rookie came in and um, this year, and you know, I'm 30, so I'm eight years older than her, <laughs> which was uh, very hard for me. But you look, we couldn't, get, we weren't fed. Yeah. In college, like it wasn't like we could have steaks and yeah. lobsters and whatever. I'm looking at, you know, going through facilities. We practice at USC and I'm like seeing them come out with breakfast and lunch and dinner. I'm like, we didn't get that. We yeah. got a scholarship check or a meal check. Yeah. You know, so I think it's trending towards that. Yeah. I think eventually um, the NCAA has a problem, though, because, you know, how do you distribute the money? Yeah. How do you is it everybody gets the same? Is yeah. it? football gets more right is it you know i think that's the the tricky part of course is figuring out how it gets distributed Mm -hmm. given that there are some profitable programs let's say a school's football team that and i don't know how it works at every school but there's certainly times where they use those funds to then fund another sport Mm -hmm. like that that's a real thing but my thing is like if everybody is getting a piece of the pie and the product, the people that are actually putting the product on or not, then then it's got to change. I, I really do think that. I mean, for it to be a nonprofit organization, <laughs> it's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke, and you're watching, you know, <laughs> the heads of the NCAA yeah. being paid. I mean, obviously, it's something that's going to have to be talked about, and I think that that's great now that yeah. people are at least acknowledging and talking about it. You're listening to the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. JJ Reddick. Instead of people saying, hey, can I have your autograph? Do they now say, hey, you're helping me win my fantasy (laughs) league? I mean, to me, that is so overrun American society. 37 million people are playing fantasy football right now. How much of that do you hear? All the time. All I hear about is fantasy football. No matter who it is, no matter which team that person likes, (laughs) they like the Eagles if they like Tampa Bay. They are more happy that I won them their fantasy game than their favorite team losing, and that's all I hear. It's the MMQB Podcast with Peter King. Subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts. Candice, hold on one second. I need to tell my listeners about SeatGeek. As a lot of you may know, buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or show you want to go to, and none of those other ticket sites want to change that. But SeatGeek is different. They've come along and created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. SeatGeek is always the first place I go to to look for tickets to a game or concert. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. I just used it the other day to look for tickets to see the LA Rams play. Everything about SeatGeek is designed to make life easier for sports and music fans. SeatGeek does all the price comparison for you by searching multiple ticket sites and ensuring that you get the best possible deal. SeatGeek does all the work and you save time and money. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Best of all, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, click add a promo code, enter promo code JJ, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code JJ today. 
All right, let's get back to Candace Parker. There are some steps being made. You mentioned when we were in school, like not getting, you know, food all the time. And that's that's like that was like a very real thing. Like you either got brought that up in Connecticut when they won. Yeah. uh, Um, Shabazz Napier. Yeah. He was like, like, I I, I was hungry. Like, see, (laughs) you got to have. So after that, now they get there's like um, cost of admission or cost Mm -hmm. of attendance stipend, which is like four grand or something, which I mean, it's not life changing. And I don't necessarily think that any amount of money they would give you would be life changing. Mm-hmm. In other words, I don't necessarily think it's going to be 2 million back. Dude. You got to think back to college. Like to me, to if me, I got oh $200. <laughs> what? I'm going to Zaxby's and getting some yeah. wings. Like it's yeah. for me. It I changed, had a, it changed my life. I had a, I had a terrible, and I don't even know why it was this, but I had a terrible obsession with Lacoste polos. And I had one. I remember I'm that was like, so crazy. It was. Like, no, but I had like one in every color. And looking back, I think they were like $70. Did you pop the color? <laughs> did you wear the collar um, up or did you put it down? I'm not going to lie. My sophomore year, I definitely popped my collar oh, on occasion. Gosh. And then my mugshot when I got my DUI, <laughs> I was wearing a polo shirt. With the... No, but the collar was half pop. But the reason was is because the cops, when they threw me on the ground and picked me back up, they yanked my collar. I was unaware okay, that it was well, yanked. It was yanked. Okay. Well, that's not your fault. <laughs> oh, yeah. So the WNBA just celebrated their 20th anniversary uh, this past season. Uh, and I was looking back at the history of the league. I watched the WNBA so much as a kid. Cynthia Cooper was like my all-time favorite. But looking back at the attendance figures, and last year in the 19th year, they were at sort of the lowest they've been. This year, they crept back up. Viewership uh, crept back up. And from someone who's who's in the middle of it, like what, what does the WNBA need to do to – you know, I don't know that it's a niche thing because I think it's I think it can be more than a niche thing. So what does it need to do to grow in popularity, maybe catch, you know, MLS or, or even baseball, which is a declining sport? You know, Lisa Borders was a huge step in the correct direction. I really like her and I like her because she's not only our president, but she's also a fan of women's basketball. And I think you have to have that. You have to have that passion driven person that's heading your organization I think also we need to figure out our target audience and be real about our target target audience. Because I think in the years past, we've kind of gone from, okay, we're going to target market daddy daughters. Then we did this marketing campaign of like, you know, saying all these negative things about it and be like, I wouldn't say that, would you? Like targeting <laughs> men, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But I think we need to figure out who our target marketing group is. Yeah. And target towards them because I think once we bring people to the games, we I've had a number of people that never have been to a Sparks game. They come one time, they're like, this is fun. Yeah. It's a family activity. Yeah. There's music, you know, and different things like that. So I think that's And by huge. the way, the level of play is awesome. Thank like you. The le- no, I appreciate it is. you. No, but it is. The level of play is awesome. And I think ultimately people want to watch awesome basketball. Mm-hmm. So the NBA, you know, one of the big things that happened with David Stern is – during the 80s and 90s, like the NBA became like all about marketing star mm. players and, yeah. and really, and it's kind of the holdover from his regime, if you want to call it that, but it's the holdover from his his being a commissioner is like our league is so star driven. Yes. And I, I think you can make a case right now that the WNBA is in a position to better market its stars. And I think they're starting to. And that was what they did initially. If you remember correctly, a lot of the star players signed off-season deals with the WNBA to stay here in the off-season and to market the WNBA. Mm. So the Lisa Leslie's, the Cheryl Swoops, 
um, even throw in Rebecca Lobo. Yeah. You know, they they stayed here to market WNBA. Now the star players, I mean, I'm not going to pass up, you know, a million dollars to go overseas and play right. to stay here and market the WNBA. So I think somewhere along the lines, something has to be done. If you look at the collective bargaining agreement as well, initially it was so in like big with star players. It was, you know, rich man, poor man. That was, that was yeah. it. Then as you see, you know, through the collective bargaining agreements kind of favored the middleman more. Yeah. You know, it's more middleman driven, but you don't have a WNBA without the stars. And I think the NBA is realizing this too with the new collective bargaining agreement for star players making, you know, uh, a lot of money. (laughs) So I think there's a lot of talking points and we have great communication between the players union and and the WNBA and Lisa Borders. And I do think that you're right in terms of marketing and who the who we're trying to market to and what we're trying to market like what is the like what is the WNBA game like if you were to succinctly like sort of describe it like what makes it great what makes it maybe different than the NBA or what makes it similar i don't know i don't i don't know what your what your your argument for or against it is you know i think just going back real quick about marketing too i think people love stories mm-hmm. And because we're not here in the off season and we're not here to kind of go around and allow people to meet us, they don't know our stories. So you can't follow and support somebody that you don't know their stories. Yeah. So I think another thing for the WNBA is to paint the picture of us going overseas. You know, like some of these, like half the people don't even know that we play 12 months out of the year. Right. You know, so I think that that's a big thing. I think, you know, target marketing obviously is huge. But one thing to know about the WNBA, like when you go see a game, we play hard yeah. consistently. We yeah. don't play as many games, so we're able to kind of do that. I think we play a team. You know how it's the difference between European basketball and American sure. basketball? Sure, I think that's kind of what it is. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of – there's some ISOs and things like that, but there's more ball movement. Yeah. It's more free-flowing. We are – our game has grown athletically. I think sure. that it. you see a lot more players that are trending towards being able to, you know, move and handle and cross over and – Adding a little Duncan. More, well, more versatility, too, mm-hmm. because, like, similar to you, there are a lot of players in your league right now who are taller, yes. more athletic, yes. but have perimeter skills. Mm-hmm. Similar to the NBA. I mean, that's what the NBA is made up of now. I mean, yeah, that's what Dirk – I mean, Dirk was <laughs> – yeah. Dirk was the one yeah. where everybody was like, oh, I'm seven foot, I can still shoot, you know? Yeah, yeah. So the other thing with – besides just attendance and viewership that I wanted to ask you about, when the MLS started, mm-hmm. you know – a lot of teams were playing in, in football stadiums and you know, they, they weren't big. I like that. And like Portland, I think maybe was one of the first ones. I know Seattle too, but like a lot of these MLS teams have built soccer specific arenas. Mm -hmm. And I think the average attendance for the WNBA this past season was, let's just call it like nine or 10,000. So that's roughly half, a little bit less than half, 40%, let's say of, of an NBA, an average NBA arena. So would you like to see them build like specific arenas, like eight to 10,000 square feet, something like Cameron Indoor Stadium, maybe. <laughs> or, 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 or do you want to play in, in Staples? You know, okay, there's two ways. First of all, I love playing in Staples. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. amazing. You know, yeah. when you're on that court and yeah. you realize how special that building is, I mean, yeah. people love playing there. Yeah. Now, saying that, Tulsa just relocated to Dallas, and I think their stadium is perfect. For the WNBA, yeah. you know they play at Texas Arlington, and it's on the you know on the court. I want to say maybe 12, yeah. 12 15,000 people. Yeah. It's very intimate. I like it. 
And I think, you know, the fans are a lot more involved yeah. in the game. And it seems like it's a lot more energy. Well, that's I mean? the thing, too, is like I, you, you see the MLS stadiums yeah. now and they're packed yeah. with 20,000 people as opposed to like a quarter full 80,000 yeah, stadium. Exactly. The atmosphere changes. Yes. It totally changes. It does. And it's it's I don't want to compare it to college because you guys are professionals. But like in terms of an atmosphere, like we always talk about it as pros. We're like, you know, you go to Boston, you're like, oh, that reminds me of, you know, that reminds me of playing in college. Mm -hmm. and, and some NBA arenas are, are very sterile. Yeah. And I, I just feel like, I don't know. I feel like maybe that would, maybe that would be a good thing. Maybe it would be a bad thing. I don't know. No, I think that's something to talk about. You know, I, I'm now, I don't know if I'm going to go as far as to say, I don't want to play in Staples because <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> that's a lot of fun. But I mean, you look at what Minnesota's done, Yeah, you know, they have really great fan support and they play in the, you know, Timberwolves. Yeah. I guess stadium. It maybe just depends on the market. Yeah. I think it depends on the market, but I, I mean, I think that that's something that we should look at because, or at least switching some of the games to, right. You know, arenas of that size. I know even, even some of the big East schools, they do that. Mm -hmm. You know, they play in, in men's basketball, they'll play, you know, like Villanova will play some games yeah. at, um, I don't even know. Is it the Wells Fargo? I think it is. I think Wells Fargo, Fargo where the Sixers play. And, and then wow. some games they play on campus. Georgetown does the same thing. St. John's, they have sort of, yeah. specific things for the right DePaul, games. DePaul, I, it's yeah. just something to think about. I don't know. I don't know. I, I just thought about that, and I read, read an article about it. I thought it was kind of interesting, and, and the comparison, I I think, to the MLS is is a valid one. And again, this isn't like – I'm not saying this is a gender thing. Like, the MLS recognize, okay, this is our market, and, and this is how we can provide a better product and a better atmosphere, and they're doing it, and, it, and it's worked so far. Give me somebody in the WNBA – I know, like, Maya Moore, Lindsey Whalen, like, all these, like, who's the best player in the WNBA that isn't a household name? Ooh, put me on the spot here. Yeah. Um, that's tough. <laughs> I think Tiffany Hayes from Atlanta. Okay. She's on the Atlanta Dream. She's not a household name. I mean, she's she plays alongside Angel McCautry. People that follow would know her. Yeah, yeah. But uh, she can play. Yeah. She's, she's a guard lefty. Hit the three quick is I don't know what she she gave us a thirty piece a couple times this year. <laughs> we were we were happy when Chicago beat beat Atlanta because they gave us a lot of trouble this past season. So it was a better matchup for you. Yeah, it was it was a better matchup. So much of the the playoffs is about matchups. It's true. All right, when you said you were going to come on the podcast, I was thinking to myself like, what what is something that's like different about Candace and I thought really like hard about this and I'm really curious like you've been around professional athletes obviously your your brother and you're a professional athlete like do you think there are I guess different pressures and expectations being a female professional athlete versus a male professional athlete and I guess like the the first thing that comes to mind is like you know, you're. I, we ran into to you in Cabo when you were mm -hmm. pregnant. Yeah. And your season started like three months later. I mean, that was I. That was probably '09. So that was your yeah. first or second year mm -hmm. in the, in the WNBA. And so, like, I just, I, I, is it different being female? Like, do you think do you even a mom? Like, are there more or less expectations? More or less pressure? It's different, you know. And I think I've seen it. You know, my brother played, you know, a long career. Sheldon played a long career. So I see the differences. And, you know, obviously I have a daughter. And so, you know, to some extent, I feel like, you know, women kind of have to carry themselves a little bit different. And I think in women's sports, you know, in men's sports, if you're good, 
you're good and everything's going to take care of itself. Yeah. Women's sports is a little different. I mean, you can be good and still not get the marketing deals and things like that because I do think it is looks driven. I do think it is, mm. you know, I didn't think about that. Yeah, it yeah. is. It's driven that way. Yeah. And, um, well, I guess, I mean, it, I, I guess a follow up question to that is like, I didn't, I didn't even think about this, but like, do you have like a sense of obligation then to like, I'm using air quotes. I always have to, <laughs> but do you have a sense of obligation to like, I guess, act like a lady on the court? Like, are you, are you ever aware of that? Like how you act could be perceived differently because of your gender? I think early on I was concerned about that. Yeah. And you evolve as a person and you just say, look, this is who I am. This is, I'm doing the best I can, yeah. you know? And <laughs> yeah. that's the way it is. I mean, you know, I, I made this joke to my friend yesterday who has bad knees and she's walking around in heels. And I'm like, why? Like I used to get after games and walk in my stiletto heels to yard house. And I used to be like, why? Like, why am I putting physical pain on myself? Yeah. Like, no. So now, you know, I, I go for the Yeezys or the, yeah, the comfortable yeah. shoes, but yeah. no, I mean, I think it's more so just, yes, how you carry yourself, how things are perceived, what's expected of you is kind of a little bit different than that of a male athlete. And, you know, I remember people coming up to me, you know, when I had a child and was like, whoa, how could you, you know, like the Sparks need you. I was like, what? what? Like, how could I? Like, I'm having a child. Do you know how many times men have children and keep yeah. playing? Yeah. So to me, you know, I think that was my biggest thing was motherhood, you know, is not yeah. looked at the same. Right. Was that an, was, did you expect that reaction? Had you even actually, I, had you even thought about that? Like before you and Sheldon, you know, you and Sheldon had, had Layla, like, was that even on your radar? Like to get that reaction? You know, nothing surprises me nowadays. <laughs> um, I, I don't think anything surprises me yeah. from that. But at the end of the day, I look at it as we have to be better because I had to have a child and come back and play. And that's it was a, tough. It's a tough process. I mean, it, it, it was tough. tough. I think Coop, Michael Cooper was our coach at the time. He was like, you know, you can't, you don't have to worry about LeBron getting pregnant, you know, and, <laughs> and sitting out and like, oh, he'll be back when yeah. he can, you know, play. But I mean, I think that's the biggest difference, obviously. I've tried to take paternity leave, but Doc won't <laughs> give it to me. What, what, how long did it take for you to get back in shape? You know, I was 23. What, what, what month was Layla born? So Layla was born in May. Okay. So she was born May 13th. Yeah. And I was on the court for my first game. I believe I played July 6th. And when I tell you I shouldn't have played, sure. I wasn't ready. That's insane. But, you know, I worked out throughout my entire pregnancy. I didn't gain a lot of weight. Layla was such an easy kid. That's why yeah. she's there's only one of her because I know the next one would be <laughs> so bad. But <laughs> well, you have two, so you kind of school me on that but yeah like it was tough it was the hardest thing i've ever done it was worse than any of the injuries um i've ever had but it was well worth it all right so we have not done a four-on-four -on, -four on this podcast in a few weeks we normally do a four-on-four -four. it's basically four random things all right i cater to the guest and you seem like a pretty good historian so <laughs> i want you to give me the four best wnba players ever in oh, honor of the WNBA's 20th anniversary, I was thinking about this, and I thought of I thought of Cheryl Miller, Ooh, who, who she was way before her time. Yeah, but she, she exactly she. Way, I mean, she, she would have been she born. Was one of the greatest women's ten years later. Ever, uh, unbelievable, ever. unbelievable. 
So she, we're gonna we have to mention her, okay, but she's Cheryl not gonna Miller. be in the four because you know. Yeah, Cheryl Miller. Oh my goodness, unbelievable. She played two years, but it was like yeah, yeah. She was too old to play. Yeah. Obviously, I, I, Lisa Leslie has got a. She was the first center yeah. of our generation. I won't even call her in my generation because <laughs> I want to. I want to stay in this generation, but she was the first center of her type that could move, that could block shots, that was agile. You know, until then it was like the center was like. Plotting. Drop step, yeah, yeah. you know, right hook, left yeah. hook. Um, so Lisa Leslie's definitely has to be mentioned in that. Um, I would have to go with <sighs> Coop. Coop's number two. Okay. So Cynthia Cooper, I raised the roof I don't know how many times. <laughs> um, this is excluding myself, correct? I'm not yeah. going to put myself in there. I actually that. would prefer if you think you're the top four, <laughs> like own that shit. <laughs> um, my parents always said you have to have confidence. So if yeah. you don't think that you are, then nobody else will. I would definitely put myself in there. Okay. I think I'm one of my, the first of my kind that can step away from the basket, hit, you know. I got to put Dinah Tarasi in there. Oh. Cold blooded, played with her overseas a couple times, and she's unbelievable. Yeah, those are my four. I think those are a good four. In fact, I. I like, will, will Maya Moore eventually be in that four? You know, it's tough for me because she's in my generation. Yeah. You know, maybe, yeah, I think so. I mean, she's very talented. And our generation, a lot is about winning. And she's done that already. So, I mean, she's won three championships already. I saw Tarasi play at Duke. Um, I remember that game. <laughs> like, the amount of shit she was talking on oh. the court. It was unbelievable. And it was really like the first time that I'd ever really like seen that in a women's college basketball <laughs> game. Like she was just, I just loved like, first of all, she's confident, but like it was just brash. The way she did it was brash. You know what I mean? I just, she, she, she's always been a, I mean, I always think been the, a favorite of mine. The one liner for me, uh, the story I got when I got to Tennessee, cause Connecticut, you know, before our year, Connecticut had owned Tennessee the previous four years. Yeah. Diana in school at Connecticut and Sue Bird and, you know, Swing Cash and all them. Yeah. So when I got there, you know, TBA is Thompson Bowling Arena. And so Tarasi, when she hit the shot that basically beat Tennessee at Tennessee, she said they should call it Tarasi Bowling Arena. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, yeah, she talks a lot of junk. She's always back. it's always up, fun. Though. It's always yeah. fun to play against her. We, we, we have our moments during the game where we talk junk, too. That's awesome. All right. Well, Candice, I really appreciate the time. Uh, this has been an awesome conversation and uh, all the best of luck to you. Congrats again on uh, the championship. I appreciate you. Right. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. I'd really like to thank today's guest, Candice Parker. Remember to subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes wherever you listen to the podcast. And be sure to subscribe to the Vertical Podcast with Woj and the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and you can now hear the Vertical Podcast Network every weekday at 3 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Satellite Radio on Sirius Channel 214, XM Channel 203, and on the Sirius XM app on Channel 967. My podcast airs on Sirius XM every Monday and Thursday, the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix every Tuesday, and the Vertical Podcast with Woj every Wednesday and Friday. As always, I love hearing from you guys. You can always tweet me at JJ Reddick for any questions and comments. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, SeatGeek. Be sure to support them the way they support us here at the Vertical Podcast. I'll catch you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice.